The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Well, today we are wrapping up our series together called Greater, Believing That God Is Good Even When Life Is Not. And so if today is actually your first time with us in this series, then you are kind of coming in at the very tail end of all this, but that's okay. We are certainly glad to have you with us uh, this morning. And so if you've missed some of these messages, or perhaps if you actually want to share um, what it is that we have been talking about together for these last five weeks with somebody that you know that you think could actually benefit from what it is that we have been talking about, you can do all of that by going to our website at faithtroy.org. Again, the series is called Greater Believing That God Is Good Even When Life Is Not. And so what we've been doing every single week in this series really is to address two questions that all of us have asked at least one time and probably at many different points throughout the course of our lives. And those two questions are simply these questions. God, why are you allowing this? And will I, right? Will we, will they make it through it? And uh, one of the things that we've said, um, one of the reasons why we've said the scriptures themselves, why these are so incredibly important whenever we're asking these questions, is because the, the lives of the men and women who are recorded within the pages of this book right here, they remind us that adversity does not equal absence. That whenever you and I experience adversity in our lives, that does not equate to the absence of God. It does not mean that God does not care. And it does not mean that God is angry with you. How do we know that? Because this is also the record of the Savior who is the same. The scriptures tell us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means if he was actually faithful to the men and women whose lives are recorded in this book, then he will be faithful to you and to me as well. Now today, since this is the last uh, part of our series, I thought this would be a great time. Um, for us to actually answer and to look at a whole new question, a brand new question for all us to think about. And the interesting thing about this question is that every single one of you, you have asked this question whether or not you are a follower of Jesus, and you have asked this question in your life either very intently or you've asked this question kind of spontaneously. You've asked this question either as a result of your own greater than moment or you ask this question because of somebody else's greater than moment. And the question is simply this. Why doesn't God do something about that? Now, the interesting thing about this question is you do not have to think very long to come up with a that, because some of you, you work with that. Some of you, right, you work with that. Some of you are seated next to that right now. Some of you, you go to school with that. You have a locker next to that, right? It's very easy for us to come up with a that. And the truth is, there's all kinds of that's that we can think about in our life. There's the serious that's that we talked about last week, all the issues of pain and suffering and illness that we see in this world, all the things that we see on TV or that we hear about in this world. So you don't have to think very long about an answer to this question, God, why don't you do something about that. But what I need you to do right now is to participate in this next part. And this is tremendously important. This is going to be very important for you to actually see. Because if you have either said that question out loud or you have thought that question to yourself at some point in your life or something similar to that, just raise your hand for a moment. Just keep them up. Okay, before you put them down, kind of everyone look around. Right? 
See, go ahead, put your hands down. This is tremendously important right now because whenever you are in a greater than moment, you always feel, I always feel like I'm the only one. Like it's only me with the questions, right? And see, what God wants to remind us of today is that God does know. God is aware and God does care and God is not angry with you. That you really can maintain faith. You really can hold on to belief. You really can continue to press on even though there are some things that you may not just understand, including why it is that God does not do something about that. Now, here's the amazing thing. This is why it's so incredibly important for you to actually take some time out of your week every week and read this, right? Because this is what feeds your faith. Reading God's word is actually what feeds your faith. Feeding your faith is what starves your doubt, Okay? You don't have to spend hours in it every week, just a couple of minutes throughout the course of your week, because this is the primary way that God actually wants to feed your faith. It's also the way that we discover what we're going to discover together today, which is that Jesus was so concerned about us answering that question, why doesn't God do something about that, that Jesus actually created a that so that the people that were there that day would ask the question, God, why don't you do something about that? Now, all this is found in John chapter 11, which is on page 1,668, if you're using one of those Bibles that is in the seat back in front of you. Now, when you get to John chapter 11, you will see a heading at the beginning of that chapter. And for many of us here today, this is such a familiar story that for many of us, when you hear the first verse from this story, you immediately know how it is that the story ends. So I just want you to kind of ignore what you see on the top of John chapter 11. I don't think I've ever told you to ignore something in the Bible before. But you just ignore that little heading for just a moment. Um, because I don't want you to immediately just rush to the end of the story in your mind. Because, see, when the Apostle John, when he actually wrote this for us, when he was there and he witnessed this event and he recorded this event for us, the people who read this for the first time in the first century, they had no idea how this was about to end. And, see, there is so much drama. There is so much emotion. There is so much tension in this story that if you are in the midst of a greater than moment in your life right now, then you are actually in this story that we're going to read together today. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, tells us this. A man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, whose brother, uh, this Mary, whose brother uh, Lazarus was now lay sick, was the same Mary who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Right? So in the very first century when people read this, they were all like, oh, that Mary. I know exactly who John is talking about because everybody in the first century knew the story of Mary pouring the perfume on Jesus' feet. John continues in verse 3. So these sisters, Martha and Mary, they sent word to Jesus. Right? Jesus was about a half day away from where they were at right now, so he's not too far. And they send Jesus a message simply saying this, Lord, the one that you love is sick. Right? Not Lord Lazarus is sick. No, Lord, the one that you love is sick. Now think about it. These two sisters, they send this message to Jesus knowing that they had actually seen Jesus stand outside in the hot, hot sun all day long with this huge line of sick people waiting, all of them, and Jesus would heal every single one of them one at a time, healing, 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 healing all day long. And so they send this message to Jesus 
Because now, Jesus, it's not a whole crowd of people that's sick. No, it's one person who's sick. Now, Jesus, it's not a bunch of strangers who's sick. It's the one that you love. It is Lazarus who is sick. Verse 4, when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. Right? So that, in other words, here's the purpose, right? So that God's Son may be glorified through it, right? With it being the sickness. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, hold on just a second, Jesus. Nobody told me about this part of the story when I was in Sunday school. Right? What do you mean, Jesus, glorified through sickness? What exactly are you saying? And see, Jesus is saying this, listen, I'm about to give you a whole new that. I'm about to bring some light into your darkness. I'm about to bring some hope into that part of your life that you think is absolutely hopeless. And see, John, who was there, John, who actually saw this entire event take place, John, who is recording and telling us about this event now, see, John knows what's about to take place. He knows that this story is going to take a crazy, crazy turn that no one is expecting. And so before John tells us what happens next, John wants to make sure that we don't forget about something very, very important. And so John reminds us in verse 5 that Jesus, he loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. It's like, John, you just told us that like two verses ago, okay? Why do you need to say that uh, again? Because John's thinking, okay, listen, I know what's going to happen next. And see, you, you have no idea what's going to happen next. In fact, based on what happens next, based on what is going to take place next, you're going to think that Jesus doesn't love Lazarus, that he doesn't love Mary, that he doesn't love Martha. And so before I tell you what happens next, John is saying, you just need to know. These were not simply people that Jesus knew. These were not simply people that Jesus liked. No, these were people that Jesus loved. Jesus loved Mary. He loved Martha. And Jesus loved Lazarus. See, John is reminding us what is true about Jesus because John knows that what we are going to assume about Jesus based on the circumstance is going to lead us to believe something that is not true. And so verse 6. Yet when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. So again, you got to try to picture this, right? These messengers, they come to Jesus and his disciples, and they're all sitting around, and the messengers say, hey, hey Jesus, the, the one that you love is sick. Mary and Martha, they want you to come and help them. And so all the disciples stand up, and they're like, okay, well, I guess it's time to go to Bethany. And Jesus is like, hang on, guys. Have a seat. We're not going anywhere. It's like, oh. Okay. So Jesus, you get word that someone that you know is sick. And Jesus, it's not just someone that you know. It's actually someone that you love. Jesus, it's, it's Lazarus. And you're not going to do anything, Jesus? You just want us to stay here, Jesus? See, you have felt that at some point in your life. Haven't you? 
God help me, I'm sick. God help me, my wife is sick. God help me, my son is sick. God help me, I, I, I need a job. God help my family, please, we're struggling. God, I'll do anything. I'll go to church more. God, I'll give more money. God, I'll go be a missionary someplace. Just, I, I just need you, you to do something. Jesus, please, God, you've got to do something. And nothing. Then after two days of nothing, verse 7, then Jesus said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there, they tried to stone you. In other words, Jesus, you may not remember this, but see, we remember this vividly because every time they try to stone you, they end up hitting us. And Jesus, really? You want to go back there? And then Jesus does what Jesus always did in these kind of situations. And he says something that on the surface just sounds so absolutely ridiculous. Something that just appears on the surface to have nothing whatsoever to do with the context of the conversation. Because Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? It's like, okay, Jesus, Mary, Lazarus, Martha, Judea, Bethany. That's what we're talking about, Jesus. What, are you, what, what in the world are you saying? What does daylight have to do with any of this? But Jesus, he just continues, and he goes on, and he tells his disciples, a man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. See, this is important. What Jesus is talking about is opportunity. That when the sun is up, you have certain opportunities, but when the sun goes down, you lose those opportunities. And Jesus is saying, don't miss this, don't miss this. He's saying, guys, guys, you can stay here if you want to, but listen, I am not going to be here for very long. And, and, and I am leaving this earth, rather, frankly, quite sooner than you expect. I am leaving this earth, and when I leave, a light goes out, and you will be back in darkness. I'm about to give you a light, Jesus is saying. A light that you will actually carry with you for the rest of your lives. A light that will serve you in all the dark moments of your life. All the dark moments that happen in the greater than moments of this life. And so while we have this opportunity, Jesus is saying, I want you to follow me to Judea. And listen, I understand. I, I know what you're thinking. I know you're worried about what's going to happen when you get there. But if you stay here, you will miss the opportunity of a lifetime because I'm about to give you some light that will serve you for the rest of your lives. Because when I leave this earth, the opportunity for you to see what I want you to see, says Jesus, that ends. That ends forever. Verse 11. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus, this is good news. This means we don't have to go to Judea. Lazarus is going to get better and we won't die. Jesus, verse 13, had been speaking of Lazarus' death. But his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. 
And so then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. What did you say, Jesus? You heard me, Lazarus is dead. Jesus, you know that, and we've just been sitting here for the past two days doing nothing? Jesus, you know that Lazarus is dead, and yet you want us to go to Judea and risk our lives, even though you know he's dead? And then Jesus makes what is perhaps the most insensitive statement in the entire New Testament. This is a statement, nobody would actually make this up if Jesus didn't actually say this. Because Jesus looks at his closest followers and he says to them, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. It's like, okay, Jesus, hang on. I I know that you're big into illustrations and all that, but what could possibly be so important to you? For us to learn. Jesus, what could possibly be so important for, for, for us to learn? What could be so important to you that, that you would actually allow the one that you love to die? I mean, Jesus, what could be so important to you? Jesus said, I'm glad I, I wasn't there. Not because I don't care. Not because I'm not aware. Not because I don't understand what's going on. No, Jesus said, I'm glad I was not there so that. Right? In other words, here's the purpose behind all this. Jesus is saying, now I'm about to fill in all those missing pieces. Now I'm going to actually give you the reason. I'm going to give you the purpose behind all of this. Jesus says, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. Jesus, are you really saying that our belief in you is so important to you that you would allow something bad to happen so that we here today may believe in you? And Jesus says, yes. Yes, your belief in Jesus is that important to Jesus. Now, see, the truth is, for some of us, if we're honest, that turns our theology upside down a little bit, doesn't it? Jesus actually created a that so that we could understand what it is that God is doing, what it is that he is doing when God does not do that thing that we think God should do. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now see, here's where the familiarity of of this story for many of us causes us to kind of miss some of the emotion of the moment. right? Because meanwhile, back in Bethany for the past four days, Mary and Martha have been taking care of their brother, Lazarus, as he dies. And see, the truth is, for many of us, we know exactly how this happened. Right? Because we've been there. We've seen it. We've experienced. After Mary and Martha, they sent their desperate message to Jesus. They sat there next to their brother Lazarus as he was dying, wiping the sweat off of his brow the entire time, saying, don't worry, Jesus will be here. Don't worry, he'll be here. We sent word to Jesus, he'll be here. He'll be here. Don't worry, don't worry. Jesus will be here. 
Mary, you run out to the street and you wait for Jesus and, and I'll stay back here and take care of our brother Lazarus. And then, then after a little while, we'll switch. Martha, I'll, I'll, I'll go out there and you can stay here with Lazarus and take care of him. Lazarus, don't worry. Jesus will be here. We've called for Jesus. He'll be here. He'll be here. We've seen him heal strangers. We've seen him heal Gentiles. We've seen him heal soldiers in the Roman army. We've called for Jesus. He'll be here. He'll be here. And they waited. And they waited. And no Jesus. And then Lazarus died. And still, no Jesus. And then, these two sisters, who had done everything they had been told to do, who had done everything they knew to do, they began to prepare their brother's body to be buried. And no Jesus. Not having any idea whatsoever that in just a couple of weeks they would be doing the very same thing for Jesus himself. And then they placed their brother's body into that tomb and they began to mourn. And still, no Jesus. See, isn't that where we live sometimes? Aren't those the emotions that you wrestle with because I wrestle with those emotions at times. That maybe God is unknowing. Maybe God is really uncaring. Or maybe God is just flat out disinterested in what's happening to me. And yet the truth is, our belief, your belief in Jesus is so important to Jesus that he stayed right where he was so that 2,000 years later, you and I could carry hope into every area of our life where we have questions and where we have fears, where we have unanswered prayers, where we have pain and where we have doubt. That is how important your faith is in Jesus to Jesus himself. Verse 18. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the time of the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Now think about this for a second. Now, admittedly, this is a little bit of a guess on my part. But why is it that Mary didn't run out with Martha to meet Jesus? What's Mary feeling in her heart right now? What's Mary thinking right now? She's mad, isn't she? Oh, of course she is. She's thinking, Jesus, you know what? You could have, you, you should have, and you didn't. Jesus, you could have been here. Jesus, if you would have been here, none of this would have happened. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. She's thinking, Jesus, you don't love us. You don't love me. You love strangers. 
but you don't love me. See, that's what Mary is thinking, isn't it? Meanwhile, Martha, she runs out to Jesus. And when Martha finds Jesus, she says to Jesus exactly what you would say. Exactly what I would say. In verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, Jesus, this is all your fault. Jesus, if you would have been here, none of this would have happened. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would still be alive. Jesus, we've seen you heal strangers. Jesus, we've seen you heal people that you did not even meet. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. None of this would have happened. And then this next verse, verse 22, you've got to try to picture this in your mind to understand how amazing this is. Because Martha looks at Jesus, and she says to Jesus in verse 22, but I know, which means but I trust, which means but I believe, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I mean, think about this. Martha is staring into the eyes of a man, a five foot nine, 150 pound, 30 something year old man. And she says to Jesus, Jesus, I've seen who you are. Jesus, uh, there's things that I don't know, Jesus, but here's what I do know, Jesus. Uh, There's a whole lot that I don't have answers to, Jesus, but here's what I do know. God will give you, Jesus, whatever it is that you ask for. Jesus, that is why I called for you, because I know that God will give you, Jesus, whatever you ask for. That's why I called for you in the first place, Jesus. And listen to how Jesus responds to this. Verse 23, he looks at her and he says to Martha, he says, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know. He'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, Martha thinks that Jesus is giving her a theological answer, right? Like, it's okay. You'll see him again someday. He's in a better place. She's in a better place. It's okay, right? That's what what Martha thinks Jesus is saying. But then Jesus looks Martha straight in the eye, and he says something to Martha that only a liar, a lunatic, or perhaps the Son of God himself would dare say to anyone in this situation. Because Jesus looks into the eyes of this angry, confused, heartbroken woman who loved her brother and who thought that she knew who Jesus was. And Jesus looks at her and says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, you think the resurrection is about an event, and and it is. Martha, you think the resurrection is about the future, and it is. But Martha, I am. Martha, when you look at me, you are looking at resurrection. Martha, when you look at me, you are looking at life. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then Jesus looks at Martha and he asks her a question. He asks her a question, in fact, that he asks every single one of us, every single one of you. A question he asks of me. And he looks at Martha and he asks her a question 
that was easy to believe when you were six years old. It's a question that was easy to believe when you're 12 years old. It's a question that gets a little bit more difficult to believe when you're 22 years old or when you're 40 years old. It's a question that we struggle with when we mourn the loss of someone that we love so much or when we see someone that we love suffer or when we've just watched someone that we care about or ourselves go through the most difficult greater than moment of life. Jesus looks at Martha straight in the eyes and asks her, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this still? After everything that's happened to you? Do you still believe I am who you thought I was? Do you still believe that I am who you thought I was even though I did not do what you wanted me to do? I mean, isn't this amazing? Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Isn't it incredible that Jesus created this situation not only for their faith but for your faith for my faith yes Lord she told him in verse 27 I believe that you are the Christ the son of God who was to come into this world and so Martha runs back She finds Mary and she says to Mary, listen, you have got to go and see Jesus before he comes into town. And so Mary, she also runs out to meet Jesus and she has basically the same conversation that Martha just did. Jesus, if you would have been here, none of this would have happened to us. And then John tells us something incredible in verse 33. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then what John actually records for us next is astounding because he tells us something about Jesus in this next statement. Something about Jesus who even though he knew everything that was going to take place, even though Jesus knew exactly how this event would end, John records something for us about Jesus so that we would actually understand the heart of God. Because John tells us that it's in this moment that Jesus weeps. That it's in this moment that Jesus, he shows us that he's not disinterested. That it's not that he doesn't understand. That it isn't that he's aware. In fact, Jesus says to you, he says, I know. I know that when you hurt and when you have questions, I know that when you suffer and when you experience pain, I know that when you don't understand why you feel as if you've been abandoned by God, I know that when your prayers don't get answered the way that you want them to get answered, I know how you feel. I know what that does to you. I know the questions it stirs in your hearts. I know. I know. 
And the people who were there that day and who saw all of this take place in verse 36, they respond the exact same way that you would respond, the same way that I would respond if I was there that day watching. Because they say that in verse 36, Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? In other words, why didn't God do something about that? Verse 38. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, if you trust me, if you lean on me with all your weight, if you lean on me with all of your fears and all of your doubts, all of your anger and all of your unanswered questions, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus, are you really saying that all of this happened so that we would know what's actually going on when God does not do that thing that we think God should do, when that thing that we think should be changed doesn't get changed. That's what this is all about. So they took away the stone, verse 41. And then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, this is Jesus saying, Father, this is about me in this moment, but this is only about me so that they, so that we could actually see you. When Jesus had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And do you know why Jesus had to tell them to actually take off the grave clothes and let him go? Because they're all standing there in shock. No one's getting near this guy. He has been dead in the tomb for four days. They're all like, uh-uh, I am not touching him. This is crazy. What did we just see? Therefore, verse 45, John tells us, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, they put their faith in him. I bet they did. Because history tells us that because of what actually happened in Bethany on that day, that message about Jesus, it spread like wildfire. Because, see, Jesus, he didn't just raise somebody from the dead who may have been unconscious. 
He, he didn't just raise somebody from the dead who, who, who may have been passed out and, you know, they couldn't find a pulse. No, Jesus brought back to life a man who had been dead and buried in a tomb for four days. There is absolutely nothing, nothing that Jesus cannot do. So here's the question for us today. As we wrap up together this morning, and as we wrap up our series together this weekend, why doesn't God do something about that? And see, the truth is, the answer is sometimes we don't know. But here's what we do know. Because of a day in Bethany with Jesus and some people that Jesus loved very, very much, we know that he can. And we know that sometimes he waits. And we know that we can trust him even if we do not understand what's happening. Even if we even when I, even if the people I care about don't get healed. Because see, Jesus, he made us this promise. If you believe, if you believe that the proof of what God feels about you is the cross of Jesus and not your present circumstance, if you believe that no matter how broken your story may be, no matter how broken your heart may be right now, in the middle of your story stands a Savior with nail-scarred hands. If you believe that because death could not keep Jesus in the grave, that whatever you're up against right now in your family, it isn't going to win. Whatever you're up against in your life, it isn't going to win. If you believe that Jesus really is the resurrection and the life, then Jesus makes this promise to you today. Your Savior says today, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Let me pray for you today. Jesus, thank you so much that we are not here this morning worshiping a Savior who does not know what it means to suffer. But instead, Jesus, we actually worship you, the suffering Savior, the Savior who knows the questions, the Savior who knows the fears, the Savior who knows the doubts that pain brings, that unanswered prayers bring, the Savior who promises that when we hurt and when we are afraid and when we don't understand why the Savior who promises that in the midst of all that that you are here with us that you have not left us alone that you will not leave us Father for the person that's here this morning for the man or the woman or the, the student that is here a single parent perhaps that's here this morning and who is just on the very edge of giving up. They're on the edge of giving in. They're sitting here wrestling and thinking, okay, why bother? Why should I continue? Why should I continue to hold on? Why should I continue to believe? Jesus, maybe for the person who's here today, 
who up until this time today has not believed or called on you as their Savior and Lord, and yet in their heart right now in this moment, Jesus, you're working. Your Holy Spirit is moving. And you are creating faith. Father, for all of us, regardless of how long or how short we've known you, regardless of what we're facing in this life right now, I pray that you would give us the faith we need to remember who you are. The faith we need to ask you for the strength to go through one more day. The faith to ask you to reveal your glory in our circumstance somehow right now. And Father, I pray that for all of us today, you would use this message to be a reminder that it is never hopeless because you are the God of hope. That our hope is not in getting our prayers answered in this world. No, instead our hope is in a day and in an age and in a world that is yet to come. Our hope is for that day, Heavenly Father, when you tell us that you yourself will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for there, in that world, the old order of things is passed away. Because Jesus, you are greater than anything that we face in this life. And Jesus, you are good, even when life in this world is not. So Jesus, we hold on to your hope and your promise. And it's in your name we pray.